Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs, and Chris Schubert from the Draft Network. And we are your hosts here on this Friday episode of the show. And we are brought to you by Bet Online, who would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march through the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year, and they have a newly updated website. So head on over, sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV to get started. That's B L E A V. From football, basketball, bo- boxing, hockey, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, and Bet Online is where the game starts. Kyle, happy Friday to you. I'm not going to lie. I would be interested in watching a sport called boxy, though. Since we yeah. kind of blended those two and, and kind of teasing all the offerings that Bet Online has, if boxy was a sport, they would have it too because they've got everything. They do. Um, you guys ever seen the chess boxing that occurs on ESPN 8 The Ocho? Chess boxing? Yes. They box and then in the middle, they sit down and play a game of chess. Stop. No. That's fine. Google it. Okay. This is this is on ESPN 8 The Ocho with Dodgeball, right? I believe so, yes. Never even heard of this channel. Well, ESPN 8 The, the Ocho is literally a Dodgeball movie reference. You've seen the movie Dodgeball, right? I have, yeah. Okay, yeah. So ESPN 8 The Ocho, where the Dodgeball championships are on, ESPN, smartly enough, steered into this in one day of the year. Normally, it's, I think, like August 8th. They do ESPN 8 The Ocho. They take like ESPNU or one of those channels and they make it ESPN 8 The Ocho and they play all these random things. And one of those things, chess boxing, it's a thing. Do they have squatch calls on there, Chris? Excuse me? No. Squatch they have, calls. They have cheese rolling, I believe. Are you privy to the squatch call history on draft deeds? I am. I've been, I know of the lore, yes. But what was funny was squatch calls was inspired by ESPN because it was during the pandemic. At the, when it first happened and all the sports stopped happening, you could tell like everybody was like, we're a sports channel. What do we talk about? And <laughs> they had like some New York festival where everybody got together and did squatch calls. And that was the genesis of, so ESPN, naturally, I would assume if you're going to lean into this, put squatch call competition on ESPN at the Ocho on August 8th, please. And thank I you. I'll tell you who wouldn't succeed at squatch calls. Joe Marino. Yeah. Struggle. Struggle with them <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right. So, so anyway. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk football players the rest of the way here. Some deep dive conversations. We've got a couple of players queued up. We'll see where the podcast takes us today. Kyle, would you like to go first? Sure. I can go first. Uh, the player that I wanted to talk about today on the podcast is uh, Purdue wide receiver, David Bell. And I think David Bell's evolution as a prospect has been really interesting because he came in as a true freshman in 2019 and he posted over a thousand yards and there was some, and you, you often see the the dynasty fantasy football community that gets like on top of like freshman college players. Right. 
And there was some buzz about, oh, this guy's a better wide receiver than Rondale Moore is. And as you kind of watched the Purdue offense and how they've evolved in getting, keeping him involved in the game, I should say, um, that is a notion that now, here and now, uh, I feel 100% comfortable buying in and saying I am all in on the idea that David Bell, yes, is a better wide receiver prospect than what Rondale Moore is. Um, do we do, are we planning on doing the full like scouting team presentation blurb? Is that something we would like to do? Sure. Okay. Uh, so David Bell, if you're uninitiated with Mr. Bell, uh, he is a six foot two, 205 pound, junior wide receiver from the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, I project him best as an X receiver in the NFL, uh, somebody who is on the line of scrimmage. Uh, I would like to see him work into a balanced offense. He's capable of winning in both the quick game and vertically down the field. Uh, play action shot concepts and middle of the field targets in the intermediate areas of the field are likely his best ticket to high levels of production. The games that I watched, Iowa, Nebraska, 2020, and then Oregon State, Notre Dame, Iowa, Michigan State, Ohio State, 2021. I thought the best game that I watched was Iowa 2021. He shredded their zone coverage uh, relentlessly, and the least effective game that I studied for him was Notre Dame, and he still had like an eye-popping catch in that game. So kind of the quick summary for David Bell. Projects favorably as a perimeter wide receiver at the next level. I admire the effort put forth by the Purdue offense to ensure they manufacture enough touches for their top target in the passing game as Bell's menu of routes and concepts has featured quick game with stick concepts and slants, design touches in the screen game to the perimeter, and longer developing routes such as digs, posts, deep outs, and double moves vertically outside the numbers. I wouldn't necessarily advocate for such a vast array of schemed touches in the NFL, but a perimeter wide receiver with effective releases off the line of scrimmage, savvy work at the top of his routes and incredible body control and ball skills is somebody you want to try to potentially work some of your passing offense through. I don't think he's a dominant athlete. I would estimate he's probably going to run right around a four or five. Uh, His athletic profile is one that I perceive to be above average, but not a true dynamic mismatch problem, which is what makes his variety for a six foot two, two, 205 pound wide receiver. So important. Uh, at the same time, this is exactly the kind of receiver that we see annually pass through the draft process and get drafted on day two before making a high level impact and get going on to have a successful pro career. Uh, David Bell uh, brought high le- level accolades with him from Warren central high school in Indianapolis to Purdue. He helped lead multiple undefeated seasons across both his football and basketball career at the high school level. He's a local legend as a result. And his upbringing, led by his mother and his grandparents, has helped to forge a highly competitive player and a person who receives high marks off the field as well. I consider him both a high floor and high ceiling prospect who has the football acumen to make an impact immediately for whichever NFL franchise selects him. Uh, My final grade for him was an 83.5, which is an early second round grade in my comparison was Rashad Bateman, who was drafted in the first round by the Baltimore Ravens last year. So it sounds like a pretty straightforward picture to paint, especially when you introduce Rashad Bateman. And when you think about watching Purdue, and you know I've watched Purdue football, I've not scouted mm-hmm. uh, David Bell, but the ball skills and the body control are the two things that are really easy to pick up on. And so um, I guess I'm most curious on your 
expanded thoughts when it comes to his ability to create separation and that separation quickness. And, you know, is this a guy that you feel like against man coverage is going to create that spacing needed to, you know, really be an, an X and a guy that commands a high volume of targets? Yeah, so I think what I'd like to do here is work through a couple of the traits with the notes that I have, uh, specifically route running and separation. Um, as far as separation goes, I had vertically, I don't necessarily see the dynamic speed necessary to consistently stack defenders and be a consistent threat by strictly running off the line of scrimmage. Uh, but he's very successful with double moves. He's very subtle with his eyes and his hips and his feet uh, to sell false breaks and to to force that respect because he's really polished as a route runner. Um, when he's working routes that have hard breaks, I suspect that's where you'll see him more consistently break free as compared to just trying to run past guys. Um, route technician who affords no shortage of a variety in his routes, ample head fakes, double moves, stutter steps, adjusted stems, working against leverage and then folding back underneath of it once he's manipulated your hips. Uh, he was a killer at the college level against both man and zone coverage and wins to all levels of the field in the college game. His releases are effective. Uh, he's big and physical enough that I think he can get off the line of scrimmage against press. He pairs it with really efficient feet at the line of scrimmage. Um, I mean, th This is a guy for me that's in that. I know Terry McLaurin was a third round guy, um, but he's in that same perception for me as a player. And I think where Terry kind of has a leg up over him is Terry ended up coming out and running like a four, three. So I, I just don't think he's quite that dynamic, but I see a lot. Uh, Bateman was a first round guy. I'm trying to think of who would be the right guy in the second round of the last couple of years that I would kind of point to. I think he's much more advanced than what Michael Pittman is. So, and he's been a productive player for Indianapolis. I'm going to take it to a place that you took it to begin with when you brought up Rondell Moore. And I know that they're as opposite of players as you can find, but mm -hmm. you, you did say that this is a better prospect in your mind than David Bell. And I know that for a lot of people, Rondell Moore was very much a highly thought of player, you know, kind of the, the darling of many, especially when you consider what he was able to get done earlier in his time at Purdue. And so what gives you that confidence to say this is a better prospect? So I think Rondale's what made Rondale really special as a college prospect was the competitive toughness and the functional strength with contact balance that you got for a player who was not of large stature. Right. And then you pair that with how electric he was in the open field uh, was a player who really thrived when you got the ball in his hands, you saw him, especially his freshman season. I thought they got worse with this with Rondale as he went through his entire career of letting him actually run routes down the field. I think back to that big game that he had against Ohio state. And that was the game where like you did see a little bit of variety, uh, but then you, you kind of contrast that to how Arizona largely used him this year. And I, I don't mean to invoke the first year of NFL play to back my point, but he had 54 receptions for 435 yards. So this was somebody that they clearly amidst all the spacing tried to get him some shallow touches and let him be an athlete with the ball in his hands. I think what separates David is David 
is better before he gets the football. I think he's more diverse in the ways that he can win before he gets the football. I think he can line up in the slot. I see no reason why he couldn't. I think he can line up on the outside. And um, I, I think his ability to threaten you and sell you what he's doing when it's actually not what he's doing and then his catch radius. He had a catch against Notre Dame where it was like Odell Beckham style, falling to the ground, parallel to the ground. He didn't need one or he didn't use one hand. He used both. But I mean, he, he makes some plays that his catch radius will make you right even when you're wrong. And that's something with Rondale. Rondale got you the cheap yards and then created really explosive plays because of how dynamic he was. Last question I'll ask you about David Bell is – not necessarily the one landing spot, but what are some of the landing spots that come to mind for you that you feel like would get the most out of David Bell and can really give that team what they need in terms of this type of player that's missing from their offense? So I think what there's two different levels that I think you can take this. You can look to teams that need somebody who's not afraid to go over the middle just like Rashad Bateman wasn't at Minnesota and catch a lot of tough throws in traffic and know that he's going to bring those, those catches in Um, teams that are looking for middle of the field production and just need help. Uh, But there's also the competitive toughness dynamic with him that I think really pops Um, his effort in both the run game and the screen game was excellent. So I think about the Shanahan offenses, right? And one of the prerequisites to the Shanahan, the McVays of the world, the Kyle Shanahan's of the world, uh, those wide receivers need to be physical and help in the run game as well. And I think that is a really good selling point for David Bell to point to and say, look at the effort I'm putting forth on screen game when we're outside and we're getting quick touches and you need somebody to step down on a safety. Um, so I think those kinds of offenses could really help him pop in the same way that he's not as big as Brandon Ayuk. I don't think he's as explosive as Brandon Ayuk, but that kind of role for him, I think is one that I could get really excited about him being in. Not to, um, like be a victim of Chris Schubert being on this podcast and some of the conversations we've had, but he sounds exactly Jets. like, yeah, what the Jets wish they had in Denzel Mims, you know, Thanks, that Joe. type of role. Appreciate yeah, this, that. This is a good target for you to be mindful of for the New York Jets who well, have a, an abundance of picks. I'll take this to a different place too. Chris, how many years was the Corey Davis deal? The Corey Davis deal was, I believe a three year deal and he's one year in. Yes. Um, I, th- I could see a, a pathway for him stepping into the Corey Davis role in that offense as well, and you get much more economic with your spending uh, after an overlap year if you wanted to to strip cap if, if that was necessary for you too. So what you're saying is I'm going to watch some David Bell film later today. I'm going to fall in love with this guy, and I'm going to want the Jets to take him and get upset when they don't. Is that what you're telling me here you on a Friday? Sh- you should, yes. That you is what it. I'm saying. Do we have wee-woo? I think we got wee-woo. We do have a wee-woo, yes. If, if you consider this wee-woo worthy. It, no, our new general I, manager being hired, that's wee-woo. wee-woo worthy. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, you want to take this one? 
Yes. So according to, well, I guess Adam Sheffer, Schefter, the Giants Everyone. are planning to hire Bill's assistant general manager, Joe Shane, to be their next GM. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I know I knew that when this happened, I was going to get a lot of questions about Joe Shane. You know, I've already had different requests from Giants people to come on and talk uh, about Joe Shane. And here's what I could say about him. And it's difficult, right? When when you have front office personnel that aren't necessarily forward speaking, it's hard to really know what type of impact they've made in the organization. But I can tell you every single time that I've ever seen Brandon Bean, and it feels like we cross paths a fair amount whenever we're on the on the road going to games or, you know, different events. Joe Shane is right there with them. These guys are attached at the hip. And so everything that Brandon Bean's been able to accomplish in Buffalo, Joe Shane has had a front row seat to all of it. And I think that's something that you should like about Shane and his um, prospects coming over to take over the New York Giants. And, you know, he's got his hands on a couple of high first round picks this year to help um, build this football team. And so I, I think there's a lot to like. I mean, he's got to do his own thing. He's got to prove himself in this role, but his exposures to this point, I, I think are exactly what the giants need uh, in terms of coming in and, and writing the ship there. So Joe, what does this mean for, in your opinion, the giants head coaching search? Does this, does this in kickstart more Brian Dable speculation? What's interesting to me is if Brian Dable does go with Joe Shane, it will answer some of the unanswerable questions that we have about Brian Dable in terms of, all right, can this guy truly be the CEO of a football team? And that's not a slide on Brian Dable. We just don't know, right? This guy's a long-term offensive coordinator, and we talk so much about how it's, yeah, X's and O's and cool plays and scheme and all that stuff is, is fun, but it really comes back to leadership. Joe Shane knows Brian Dable, right? So he can envision him in that role to be the leader of the football team. And so I guess it says something both ways. If they bring him in to be their head coach, then it's a very resounding yes in terms of their comfort in him being a true leader. But if they don't, then you kind of wonder if, well, all right, is is Dable just one of those guys that's a really good coordinator that's not necessarily head coach material? Uh, That's kind of where I go with it. Well, it also could mean that Dable – looks at the Giants' opportunity and says, that's not the one for me, too. Which like he's that, done. That, with that, yeah. you, that is the scenario where he looks at Daniel Jones and he looks at the way that team is currently structured and he goes, listen, I got a pretty sweet gig right now. That's not the one I'm leaving for. That is Maybe that so. is a, a realistic outcome. Maybe so. Yeah, it's a good it's a good angle to bring up. So It felt like a lot of this had to start happening, right? Because the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl are in a week, week and a half. <laughs> like yeah. you got to scout like you got to yeah right you you got to have and there's they're coming into today were four gm vacancies across the entire league yeah like you got to get it together we got to get the ball rolling here guys yeah. like and you can't uh, a lot of these uh i know the giants head coaching search has kind of been buckled down by not having a general manager so it'll be interesting to see and i know uh, i believe it was jordan uh, Renan uh, of ESPN uh, with the Giants has reported that uh, Brian Flores, his top choice, is the New York Giants. I believe he's also reported that Brian Dable's top choice would be the New York Giants. And, and those dots starting to connect there may start to push that. Uh, so yeah. we will see what happens with the Giants. But it, it feels like there's kind of a 
log jam all around, right? Like everybody's waiting for the first shoe to drop. And this <laughs> maybe is the catalyst that starts that process and starts some of these hirings to get, get rolling. Exactly. We what G- we, st- we still need GMs in Minnesota. We need a GM in Chicago Las and Vegas. where's Las Vegas. Las Those Vegas. are the three spots we need general managers. The last thing I'll say on this from the bill side of things, is this is now the second member of the front office since I guess it was May or so when Dan Morgan left uh, to be the assistant GM in Carolina. And I have Joe Shane as the GM in, in Houston or excuse me, in, uh, in the New York with the New York Giants. And so you, I guess this is what comes with having success is that people want a little piece of that to try to Brother, recreate. And it's so only just begun. So <laughs> as the bills, but that, I mean, they've had other guys on their, on their staff, Brian Gaines on their staff, who's already been a GM in Houston. He kind of got a raw deal there. He did. Lake, uh, Lake Dawson's had GM interviews. You got two coordinators getting interviews. And so the, the challenge is going to be back on Buffalo to prove that they're not just um, built to win under their current structure, but that they are a place that can continue to groom and develop front office personnel and, and coaches. Cause that's, uh, that's going to start getting plucked more and more. Hey Joe, I know we got to get Tyler Smith in, but I have one more question for you. Yeah. Is there any, reality that you can envision where Brian Dable leaves and Ken Dorsey is not the replacement as the offensive coordinator. Do you see any way that that Ken goes with Brian to wherever his next destination would be? Well, I think Ken Dorsey might have that choice, um, but how do you not choose to stick with Josh Allen and the Bills as opposed to anywhere that he would go with Brian Dable? And so I think that works very much in his favor to um, for the Bills to keep Ken Dorsey if they want to. The other name there is Chad Hall, the receivers coach, who has a lot of fans when it comes to potential offensive coordinator down the road, which which a lot – it could be Ken Dorsey got promoted to passing game coordinator this offseason, and so the, the line of thinking could be Ken Dorsey goes to OC, Chad Hall becomes a passing game coordinator. Right, right. So I'm sure that's what Buffalo would love to do, but Brian Dable might say – all right, Chad Hall, you're coming with me if I can't have Ken Dorsey. Right. You want to be but- the passing coordinator or do you want to be the <laughs> offensive coordinator? Yeah. And and we you've you've made this point a lot um in you t- in your endeavors talking about coaches and assistants. Brian Dable has a lot of experience in a lot of different places. And to his credit, he separ- he detached himself from the Belichick tree, right? A little bit and, and went to some other spots. And so his inventory and exposures to other assistants to be able to fill out his staff is going to be pretty good. All right, we uh, we ready to talk about Tyler Smith? Joe, yeah. are you ready to talk about Tyler Smith is the real question. We might need to do another podcast after this because Daniel Jeremiah just dropped the mock draft and it's a little wild. Oh, geez. Bonus content, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Stingley falling out of the top 10 is just a teaser. Woo! Kayvon Thibodeau not in the top three. Teaser. Woo! Okay, just that's it. Keep it there. Give us some extra content, okay? All right. Tyler Smith, we're going to do this. And yes, this has been a journey, right? Because I I feel like I've been in on Tyler Smith since this summer, just kind of waiting for this guy to declare. And then he never made an announcement. And we finally get the, the official underclassman declaration list from the NFL. And guess whose name's on there? Tyler Smith. And so he is in... And he is a really, really fun football player. So I'll break him down for you. He's a, he's the left tackle for Tulsa. Uh, 604-6332. He's a big boy. 
And so he, he started to play late in his true freshman season at Tulsa at left tackle, and then he manned the position for the next two seasons. And when you watch Tulsa on offense, he's one of those offensive linemen that jump off the screen. He executes with big-time energy. He's a tone setter for that, for that unit in general. He's a tenacious player, and he looks for pancake blocks on every single snap. He's aggressive, and all of those labels that you like to apply in terms of mauler, road grader, blocks with an edge, he earns every single one of them emphatically. And he's the type of guy that you envision from day one, making an NFL offense tougher and more physical as a run blocker. He's explosive in the contact, and he has the power to overwhelm opponents. And, you know, he's looking for those leverage points that he can really create movement and put guys on their back. As a pass blocker, he's extremely aggressive. He likes to get hands on early. He's a wall once he gets the clamp set. And, um, you know, you're not going to go through Tyler Smith. Now, here's the thing about Tyler Smith. Big, physical, powerful, aggressive, has the right mindset. He's got to find some better technique. Uh, it, from his feet to his hands. When you talk about his hands, the, the punch timing, the placement, it's all erratic. Sometimes he's punching air. Uh, his hands get wide. They're all over the place. And then his feet just, they're not synced up with his upper body. And it leads to some issues with um, with guys. Once they can work to his edges, he can be kind of slippery because he's he can be a little bit late to engage his feet or tardy and they're, they're unresponsive when they need to be more engaged to stay square. And then when you look at this aggressive level of play that he brings to the table, it kind of reaches some frenetic levels and he's a little out of control and it takes away from his power and, and ability to sustain blocks. So I, I like the way this guy's wired. Um, he's got a lot of unteachable stuff that you love. I think the challenge ahead is to continue this aggressive mindset that makes him so appealing, but find some control and technique to go with it. And if it does, I mean, this guy's going to be an impact starter. I like him best at guard. You know, I, I think getting away from tackle reps and true pass sets and really having to frame guys on an island um, would would be to his benefit to kind of bring him inside, use those bumpers, and, you know, this is a guy that's going to get after people. He's going to create movement up front, and he's really tough to get through in terms of uh, if you want to try to bull rush this guy. Um, I guess the first place I'll take this is, uh, and, and I'm glad you had mentioned him, kicking inside and playing at offensive guard. Is there, in your opinion, is there appeal to the fact that he's played tackle for some teams that run maybe gap power or, or, you know, inside zone versus, you know, trying to play out in space and get on the perimeter and, and block that there would be appeal that he's played tackle before and you could consider him to have some utility if you get into a pinch and you need to move them around, like we saw the Packers do with Elton Jenkins this season, like how do you perceive that portion of his resume? Yeah, I think he he's not a guy that's can't play tackle. I just think he's going to have most of his success at guard. He'll have his best chance to succeed at guard. And so we talk about guys that can get you through a game or get you through a couple games at tackle. Sure, I think he can give you that. And he's not like a a, a nightmare at tackle by any means. He's not like a player that you say he has to play guard, but I just feel like his strengths will be accentuated at guard and you kind of mitigate a lot of those concerns. And so I just think it's the cleanest projection, but if a team was convinced that they were going to let him fail at tackle before they moved him to guard, I'd understand it. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to put him on a scale of like 10 to one 
<laughs> for his fundamentals. And 10 is like picturesque textbook teach tape. And one would be like, I know you watched this player over the summer, uh, Dare Rosenthal. <laughs> who I actually really like Dare Rosenthal. Yeah. Because yeah. um, he's an athletic freak and he's a monster, but his techniques like all over the place. So I'll put him on that one yeah. to 10 scale. Yeah, he's not a 10. Um, I'm not sure he's a one either. I'll, I'll say something like a four or a five. And the thing about Tyler is, is he is so strong and powerful and has so much mass that if he gets his hands on early and sets the clamps, like you're not going to be aware of any of his technical issues, right? Because it's just going to be game over for that defensive lineman. But, you know, if he's going to have to take a true pass set and um, really frame blocks and be challenged by guys that can read his set and understand how to attack him, that's where you're going to start to see some of those issues that I talked about, or, you know, even when he's run blocking, just kind of getting out of control a little bit. So he, he's, he's not a textbook guy, but he's, like I said, he's got so many unteachable things that you just love about offensive linemen that if I'm an offensive line coach, I think this is kind of, this is something I've said about him. I am pounding the table because I want my hands on this guy, because I feel like if I can get the technical side down to go with the unteachable stuff, I've got an absolute killer at guard. Well, this was an absolute killer of a show. I cannot wait for next week. Maybe we could touch on DJ's mock in which, Joe, you haven't seen it yet, have you? I have not. I've been wait, dialed wait in. You, wait until you hear the Panthers drafted another corner at six. No, they didn't. <laughs> oh, they, oh, they no, sure did, Joe. They, even oh, if they, they don't sh- re-sign any of these corners, uh, if they let Dante Jackson and Stephon Gilmore walk, they still have Henderson, Bouye, It's time to go. We got, we got to roll out of here oh, for the weekend. We hope you guys have a great one. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, Chris Schubert. Thanks, as always, for listening to Draft Dudes Podcast. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.